welcome to a special episode of the Hail Married podcast. I'm Atos, and I'm joined by my husband, the Toves. Now that we're more than halfway through our 10th season of UTSA football, we thought it'd be a good time to take a look back on the program and give our thoughts on what we've experienced over the years. We're joined by a special guest today, all the way from Sacramento, our friend and fellow tailgater from the very beginning, Big Brown. So welcome, Brown. Hey guys, I am so happy to be on this podcast and uh, thank you for just inviting me and uh, looking forward to reminiscing. All right. Sounds good. Well, since we all attended UTSA in what I'd like to call the dark days before football, I thought we should talk a little bit about what life was like before there was any glimmer of hope to having a football team at UTSA. Uh, then we can dive into each of the coaching eras. Um, and I borrowed a little bit from the podcast, The Rewatchables. Um, so if you haven't seen The Rewatchables before, they do these categories or questions um, after they review a movie. So we're going to do something like that. We'll have some categories at the end to finish off um, our discussion of each of the coaching eras. So with that, let's begin by discussing what life was like at UTSA before football. What are those things that you guys remember from those days? So for me, one of the things I remember was just that it was really about the basketball team. Um, you know, I remember UTSA being solely about basketball because my dad graduated from UTSA. And um, as, as we grew up, he would take us to UTSA basketball games. And there was this big rivalry with like the city, battle over the city with uh, St. Mary's University. So we go and I always kind of thought it was crazy how the St. Mary's fans would just get up out of their seats from the Hemisphere Arena and just start heckling our guys. It's like, I mean, I was a little kid, so I was like, I, I don't get it. Why are they going to heckle my Roadrunners? My Roadrunners are, you know, are, um, are are so good. Why do they hate them so much? I, I just didn't, I just hadn't grasped my head around that. And then here comes 1988 and, and it's their first NTA tournament experience. Um, and I remember it solely because I, I recorded it. Uh, the game and I was looking so looking forward to it I believe it, we were at uh, spring break um, and, and so I watched it and I was so disappointed that once again how could anybody beat my UTSA runners like th there's a team here that is so it's so personal to me so as I kind of grew up it, it was you know watching them from a distance you know admiring some of the things they were doing but always wondering what what would happen if uh, you know we had a football team so it was kind of fun to see you know, the shirts that came out, the still undefeated shirts, had to go get one because, you know, technically still undefeated. So, <laughs> you know, had to make sure to get that. Um, but those are my early memories. Um, even through college, there was just that, you know, when I had the opportunity to go there, it was just, you know, everybody walking around and, and being about the basketball team and, and kind of putting their activities around that. What about you, Brown? What did, what did you see? Well, for me, I'd say the, the biggest memory pre-football uh, was during high school, I went to Judson, which was at the time a football powerhouse. I guess you could still say it has a pretty uh, dominant presence in football. Yeah. So when I went to UTSA, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was kind of a stark reality kind of going from this school that was all about football to a school that didn't have any football. And I think what kind of drove it home a little more is uh, I went to UTSA with a bunch of guys that I played football with. And so there was always just kind of this kind of thought about, you know, what if you could have the school in San Antonio and kind of have the local talent there? Because we had so many guys that, you know, I played with and, and they were really good players, at least on the high school level. And, you know, it had just been great, you know, you kind of start thinking ahead to, man, you know, like what, you know, what if we could all play together? And uh, kind of even going a little bit further into the future there, you know, uh, this is a little side story, but, you know, playing NCAA football before yeah. <laughs> there was a football team at UTSA, you know, and you kind of create your own team. So I'd create UTSA and, you know, you kind of just build this like small dynasty and you kind of just think, man, you know, if only this could be reality and we could actually have this kind of going. So, so those were some of the kind of early memories before there was a football at UTSA. No, I wouldn't agree because uh, when I first met Robert, we kind of bonded over several things, but then we started talking about like the NCAA football and how we both had created UTSA. So, you know, leading them to the mythical na national championship and thinking <laughs> all these like great dreams about, Hey, we'll be in this conference and we can, we can be a national champion. It was, it was just so cool, especially when you have the Spurs that have won so many championships, you're like, 
why can't UTSA? Again, little little special uh, part of my heart, which is like, how can anybody beat my UTSA Roadrunners? I mean, yeah. <laughs> they're UTSA. Yeah, true, true. I mean, the one thing I think I was going to say about the pre-football days is um, I was in um, a group called Leadership Challenge. And um, one of the things that they did at UTSA, you know, with the Leadership Challenge group um, was they would bring in, um, you know, speakers to come talk to us about leadership. And so one of the uh, speakers they brought in was Red McCombs. And of course, you know, the first question that one of the people in the group asks is, you know, when are you going to bring, you know, when are you going to help us get a team? Like, cause it was right around the time when he had just right. purchased the Minnesota Vikings and he brought, he actually brought us like Viking shirts and stuff. And, you know, it was then when are, you know, when are you going to help us get a football team here, you know, at UTSA. Um, but the other thing I was, you know, kind of think about is, you know, basketball was such a big part of the, the campus life at that time. Um, you know, and homecoming was around, the basketball schedule, um, you know, and in some ways I kind of feel like having brought football in sort of detracted a little bit from, you know, maybe the involvement with the basketball team. So, you yeah. know, it's kind of one of those nice. things that I think, um, you know, you kind of look back and you think this is sort of like an unintended consequence in some ways, you know, I think we had a better, better attendance at the basketball games, not dramatically better than what it is now, but definitely seemed like it was more of, um, kind of more of a presence, you know, in the student body. That brings us to the Coker era, which I've dubbed the birth of a program. So in December of 2008, athletic director Lynn Hickey received approval from the UT Board of Regents to start the football program. Shortly thereafter, in February 2009, the three finalists for the head coach position were announced as Tulsa's co-defensive coordinator, Paul Randolph, Mel Churchma, the head coach of Division II program, Northwest Missouri State, and ESPN analyst and former University of Miami head coach, Larry Coker. A few weeks later in March, Larry Coker was announced as UTSA's first head coach. He was known for winning the national championship at the University of Miami in 2001, and hiring a big name coach at the time was really looked upon as a huge win for a startup program like UTSA. Coker signed his inaugural class in February of 2010. Those signees then spent that year practicing before playing in 2011. The freshmen he signed at that class who stuck with the program and graduated in 2014 were dubbed the original 18. One thing people often forget is that the original plan was for UTSA to start as an FCS program and then eventually move to an FBS program. However, UTSA benefited from multiple conference shakeups occurring at that time and was able to accelerate their plan, playing only our first year as an FCS independent, joining the WAC in 2012, and then Conference USA in 2013. In Coker's five, year, five years of coaching, UTSA went 26 and 32, including an eight and four record that first year in the WAC, and a seven and five record in our first year in Conference USA. Ultimately, a losing record in his final two years led to his resignation in January 2016. You know, looking back at the Coker years, September 3rd, 2011 is the date that most UTSA fans will never forget. That's the date when um, you know, we played our first game. So you know, thinking back to the Coker era, what are some of your thoughts about that game and the program? So for me, it was uncertainty because we, UIW had started the year before and it didn't seem like San Antonio really wrapped their arms around UIW. Sure, you know, it, it's a small program. It's you know, a small school mm -hmm. um, off 281 and Hildebrand, but you have Trinity right across, who's a lower division football team. Um, again, another sort of ritzy school, private, but there was never embrace, embracement of, uh, of Trinity. So mm -hmm going up to the game, even though there was excitement, I wasn't really sure what, what is San Antonio, how is San Antonio going to react to UTSA? Are, are they going to um, really go out and say, we want to show up to UTSA games? So I, you know, going up to that day, I thought eh, it might be a good day, but I was not ready for <laughs> what I saw when we first drove up. Uh -huh. What about you, Brown? Uh, for me, it was just finally having football at, at UTSA. 
um, you know, as, as a student, I actually went there twice for you know, my bachelor's and my master's degree. Um, you know, there was just a different feeling when the, the program started up and uh, just this uh, kind of excitement. And, you know, when I first went for my bachelor's degree, I just remember uh, there not being a football team and, you know, they had other sports and everything, but um, it, at least as a huge football fan, it always felt like that one little missing piece. And then kind of when I went back and the team started up, you know, just the, the you know, kind of feeling on the campus just felt a lot different, you know, and you could just kind of feel the excitement as it was building up to the team. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I really had no idea what to expect. And, you know, it was exciting to see that first um, tailgate, you know, people at the time didn't necessarily have a lot of UTSA gear because it was kind of hard to, to get UTSA gear, but, um, you know, it was really fun to see all of the people who had come out and to see that parking lot, you know, we're in parking lot B at the dome, um, you know, packed with, with people with some with canopy, some just sitting in there, you know, tailgate drinking beer and you know some just with you know uh some chairs and stuff around but it was kind of fun just to see that like real college experience for the first time yeah I mean it was packed um our favorite story is that that first uh that first tailgate for for the three of us where, where Robert shows up 45 minutes before the game time and you know we're trying to grill we grilled the burgers pretty quickly I think one of your friends was there uh Brown uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and he uh, lit it up and he got it going right away. But I think that that kind of, and maybe this is just kind of waxing poetic, but it, it's like the beginning of that tailgate relationship. And I mm-hmm. think that's what everybody felt as they were going out there. They, they were seeing people, they were, everybody was a UTSA fan. Everybody was looking around and, you know, throwing the birds up. And I think that's, that's how relationships have gone. At least UTSA relationships have gone through the years where you've seen it kind of blossom and again fandom you know you see some of these guys who have you know their their own little pack and Mm -hmm. they talk about um you know remember that game remember this game and it it just goes on throughout the years Uh, we have those memories too um but that that first game was the beginning of what was essentially now well unfortunately up until this year was uh some some great tailgating years (laughs) and some great beginning of tailgating traditions yeah, we, we quickly learned that we needed more than one person to have everything for the tailgate <laughs> in case there were any issues getting them to show up or, you know, timing or what have you. So, but yeah, it was. I've, I've uh, worked on my timeliness over the years. <laughs> <laughs> but still, you know, you, you got to admire um, that you managed to get all of our tailgating stuff, the grill, the tent chairs all the food everything into a nissan ultima that was yeah, yeah. pretty still impressive yeah. yeah it's quite a marvel still <laughs> but i mean again you know we also didn't know how to at least the two of us didn't know how to, what we needed to do for the tailgate so you know again as much as we kind of give you a hard time about that the other part of it too was we didn't know what to contribute we just knew um we we have you know a tent or you know um but, but that's about it there wasn't anything else that, that uh, we brought along so again beginning of us learning what we needed to do as well and help you out yeah 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 well i i pretty much squeezed every inch i could out of the trunk of the nissan ultima uh, but you know even a little side note i remember you know initially shopping for a lot of the stuff for tailgating and going to academy and because it was so new you know like you kind of mentioned you know there was very limited places that you could go to get UTSA gear so I remember a lot of people getting like that kind of you know royal blue kind of a canopy so you know everybody in the parking lot kind of had these same canopies no real UTSA logos or anything Mm -hmm. you know of course those would come years later but you know it was just you were just trying to make it happen so yeah and then you know you go into the dome on that first game and really it was just an electric environment I mean you know, over 56,000 people in the dome, a feat which we've not been able to replicate again at UTSA. I mean, it really was just an incredible experience. And, you know, in some ways you've got to feel bad for the team we played because can you imagine, you know, they're, were they a division two school or an FCS school? I mean, they've never played in 
an FBS environment like that. They'd never played in, you know, a dome that packed before. Well, it's funny you say that because I remember watching them as they came out and, you know, obviously the announcer announces that they're coming out and, you know, everybody obviously starts booing them because, you know, we're waiting for UTSA. <laughs> but the look, I just remember seeing, I think it was the kicker because I kept an eye on him and he just had this wide-eyed little boy look looking around the dome because like you said, 56,000 people yelling making so much noise it 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 had to have thrown them off especially if they've only been playing for potentially and i'm just gonna make up some population here a little a little crowd size but it probably maybe a thousand if that like for their own games but it's outside it's not in a dome and so it's you have fifty six thousand making noise in the dome i'm sure it just gets incredibly loud on the field and the pyrotechnics and everything (laughs) yeah (laughs) Definitely a, a, a great experience for sure. Yeah, that, the dome was just electric. I just remember, you know, you're just kind of sitting there and, and at least for me, and I'm sure a lot of other fans had that where it was like, wow, this is finally happening. This is finally here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and honestly, I mean, you know, we do know the outcome of the game and everything, but at that point for me, you know, it didn't matter what happened. We, we had football finally at UTSA, so... That was uh, definitely a moment that's always going to kind of stick with me. Well, and then how prophetic or prolific was it that, you know, Sosa scores on the first drive, or, you know, the, our first possession of the game. I mean, it was like just meant to be, you know? <laughs> it was, I mean, I think it was just a great celebration of all the prep that the players who we really didn't know too well yet. And, you know, essentially UTSA itself to be able to celebrate this two-year journey from the start of when they, you know, they hire Coker and get the approval to getting there. It's uh, obviously, even now, it's still the most magical thing. Like we, yeah. you know, it, it's just a, it was just a great experience, but it was even more fun to see how many students were there. And I mm-hmm. think that was, that's something that we'll talk about probably a little bit later, but, you know, that's what's crucial to, you know, universities and, you know, the success of the programs is getting those crowds out there, so. So other than just that first game, what are kind of some of your memories about the game day experience under Coker? Well, I, I think it was, you know, again, Robert kind of, or Big Brown kind of talked about it right here, is that you don't really have UTSA licensed stuff. And then all of a sudden, slowly, you start seeing it appear. So everybody's got like a, you know, a similar colored canopy, but you know, once you finally get the licensed UTSA gear out there, finally you start seeing UTSA just starting to kind of encircle the, at least from us, lot B. Mm-hmm. I'm sure lot C was probably the same, but you start seeing everybody start getting the same license stuff. You start seeing people getting like, the, you know, the ice chest that have the, you know, uh, Roadrunner logo on it. Um, and, and it becomes, to me, more of just uh, this UTSA family environment. And you know, obviously we're all drinking out there. It's not like family, family, what I'm talking about, but it's everybody kind of coming together on a Saturday to celebrate UTSA and let's, let's see them play some football. And I think, you know, that was, I think that was big for me in terms of the game day experience, but there was a little bit, I would say kind of lacking because it just felt like we were still, you know, kind of apart. Like, you know, I'd gone to other, you know, I'd, I'd gone to A&M for a while and there wasn't really any tailgating because from the students, for me as a student there, you just walked from your dorm to the, to Kyle Field. You didn't go tailgating. Um, there really, to me, wasn't too much of a tailgate experience because, you know, obviously I'm a student. So I'm just going to, to get, um, you know, get a meal at the, at the dining hall and then I'm going to go to the game. But that's, all, that's how we did it. Uh, mm-hmm. There was no, oh, we're showing up to Kyle Field. We're going to tailgate. We're going to, you know, have some burgers. We're going to have some sausage, whatever. So it was kind of different for me, you know, I, again, I didn't know how to expect, but there was also not as much distance between parking lots mm-hmm. uh, over in, you know, in the Kyle field. So, you know, every stadium has its own thing, but this one just seemed a little bit different, but it was still, you know, again, to me, it's still a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the thing that kind of sticks out to me was just, you know, you kind of have this feeling of, okay, what are going to be the traditions, what's going to kind of stick around and, you know, how do you even go about making traditions, you know, you kind of want it to be very organic and natural. Right. And, you know, now, you know, looking back, I mean, you kind of see the things that kind of stuck with us over the years, 
you know, the lemonade Capri Suns that kind of stuck. Yeah, that our Tuggy does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I I even have some Capri Suns here all the way in Sacramento for game day. So, you know, I still carry on that tradition <laughs> all the way out here in Sacramento. But, you nice. know, just kind of, uh, you know, kind of establishing that part of it is, you know, making sure that you get to the, the Alamo Dome less, you know, greater than 45 minutes before game time. <laughs> but yeah, all those things that kind of, you know, build over the years. Yeah. And, you know, I think in the first couple of years when we had um, the team kind of enter from the front of the stadium was sort of a missed opportunity. You know, you saw some of those things change over the years under Wilson where, you know, they moved the spirit walk. And so I think those things also kind of helped to build um, more of a game day experience, um, you know, as we kind of went on with the program. Yeah, I agree. So when I think of the Coker years, I really think of two sort of distinct periods. The first with those three years with Sosa as our quarterback, and then kind of those last two years where we really had this kind of question mark at the, the quarterback position. So, you know, let's kind of look at each of those years a little bit separately. So when you think back to kind of the Sosa years or those first three years, what are who are some of those players that stick out in your memory? Well, I think first of all, Eric Sosa, yeah, like, you know, sure. obviously <laughs> he scores the first touchdown, um, you know, in, in UTSA football history, he's the quarterback. You, you always look back in terms of high school and you always remember the high school quarterback, right? Like there's always this, you know, the, this narrative in movies that that's, that's what you think of. Well, here at UTSA, you know, Sosa was kind of, and I, and I would say this because we were from the outside looking in. I mean, we weren't there on campus, but he was sort of the rock star mm-hmm. um, because, yeah. you know, he was essentially from Coker, given the, the keys to the franchise. And, you know, he was essentially told, it's it's your team. We, we got him. We're going to go as far as you go. We're going to, you know, uh, if, if you struggle, we're going to struggle. If you fly, we're going to fly. And I think, you know, looking back at him and, and seeing, I mean, he wasn't perfect. He, he was, you know, obviously there were some limitations to him. Um, you know, I think he was you know, not the most athletic guy, mm-hmm. didn't have the biggest arm, but he just had this almost never say die attitude and just this ability. Um, and I would say to me, I, I really felt he was intelligent in the way he just was able to um, move the ball around, uh, spread it out to receivers, get things out there. So I think having that control of the offense was huge. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, again, we could probably go on for Sosa and just have a whole podcast episode for him. But uh, I think he's the, the biggest thing about him is that he's that first quarterback. And he's, right. I think, what we've been looking for um, ever since him. Yeah, you know, and, and I agree with uh, Sosa. Um, you know, especially having that first quarterback that starts it up, you know, starts up the program. I mean, he, he played well enough, you know, he played good, but he played well enough to kind of really get the program going. You know, there wasn't like this real big stutter step. Um, but, you know, for me, one of the players that sticks out is going to be Nick Johnson. Um, you know, you kind of uh, mentioned it with Sosa about, you know, just size and athletic ability. Um, you know, those original guys, I mean, they weren't the largest guys you know compared to other major programs um but they were just really tough you know they just that's the one thing that really kind of sticks out to me you know and i remember nick johnson you know he just would you know level guys out there um just this really hard hitter you know i remember uh, a couple of the game intros when he'd come out with the sledgehammer and and i want to say that was the kind of uh little like token for the defense when they'd get a turnover. If I remember correctly, I could be wrong on that, but I do remember him coming out at the beginning nice. of the game with the sledgehammer to middle, the middle of the field. Um, and then also, you know, uh, Nate Leonard, you know, I'm a big guy, Nate Leonard, you know, he was the, the anchor there on the line, you know, <laughs> you know, and, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he was just, you know, real physical out there, but then he had also, you know, I feel kind of like me had that, you know, kind of, softer edge to him where he'd have the bow ties <laughs> so you know yeah. so, I think they uh, said so he's yeah, the one that are... had like a blog that he, he kind of blogged <laughs> um all of UTSA's history at that time too yeah and yeah yeah he, he did he was um I guess he was he was quite articulate but um you know another guy I thought about was you know David Glasgow um uh you know we also had uh, Cam Jones um the thing about Cam Jones I really wanted to bring it up real quick was just that he just seemed, he was like our game breaker. And I say that, and, and Big Brown over here will probably 
probably um, agree with me, but in the NCAA football game, when, it, when UTSA <laughs> finally comes out, like <laughs> um, Cam Jones is like the top receiver. And, and even though he was this sort of like little guy, he was a, he was a playmaker. And I, and I think looking back, I, I just don't remember him being such a game breaker, um, but it's still a, a good memory just to think about him again, just because, you know, he, he was sort of the, the guy um then that that Sosa would look to well the interesting yeah. thing is I didn't realize until I was kind of looking back for this podcast but he came to the, the the university being one of the guys competing to be the quarterback so you know when you look back at some of the first um articles about who's going to be the quarterback you know in 2010 when they're you know they don't they're just practicing Cam Jones was in the, the quarterback room and then moves to be a receiver and, you know, he's still today in our record books, um, having the most consecutive games with a reception. Um, so it's kind of, it's, you know, it, it's even more, I think, of a great, you know, experience or because you think about the fact that he changed positions, you know. Right. Um, and then, yeah, of and course, oh, good. oh I, I was going to actually mention Sean Iano. Um, I was going there you know, too. I, I, <laughs> there we were on the same page. But uh, yeah, I you know I think especially when you mentioned that first group of kids, that's uh, you know one of the people that definitely sticks out in my mind. I just wanted to kind of shout out his name there. Yeah, I mean he sort of set up the uh, the legacy of the good kicking game, which uh, depending on how our our offense has been, has been sort of our lifesaver at times, right? Um, yeah, I mean I didn't really think too much about Ayano. I mean who's really thinking about the kicker until the first game of 2012 where he beats essentially South, I think it's South Alabama with, mm -hmm. with, I think it was a 49 yard field goal, which just seemed amazing at the time. It's just like, wow. Cause we had lost, I believe to South Alabama in the dome mm -hmm. in 2011. And so here we come back, you know, first game of the season, we're there and Sean Ayano kicks the, the game winning field goal. It just felt like, okay, maybe the season's going to be a little different. Cause I, I didn't have high expectations that second year. Um, I, I just felt like, Oh, you know, we're, we're still building, we're, we're building this, you know, we're throwing down the foundation to the UTSA football house. Um, and, you know, we're still pouring it, we're still pouring that uh, cement down. Um, so it was really cool that, you know, there he goes, uh, obviously one of the most successful kickers, if not the most successful kicker in our history. Yeah. You know, and then you've got um, the Akacha brothers, you know, sort of bringing in, you know, one of our first transfers from a big program, right? Um, from Oklahoma, Bennett Okacha coming into a UTSA. And, you know, he's had some big plays over the years, um, including that interception at the end of the UNT game in 2013. So, you know, I think there's a, it, it's interesting to go back and see so many of that first group of kids still in the history books for UTSA. Yeah. And speaking of the Okachas, what I wanted to bring up was Evans, just because um, there was somebody that tweeted, you know, who is this kind of forgotten guy and I was I was a stan account essentially for uh Evans Okacha because uh, I loved him early on he was sort of that little bowling ball kind of hard-nosed running back that was kind of tough to bring down uh he was you know short but he was you know obviously a, a sort of a bigger back he wasn't the Glasgow or Brandon Armstrong where they were sort of the speed guys mm -hmm. um so I, I just really liked him because he always like that change of pace back where you come in, you knew it was like third and one, third and two, just hand it off to Evans. He's going to get it. Um, and I felt like even then when we, when he graduated, we lost something with him too, because we didn't have that kind of big back that could get those, yeah. those yards. So thinking about some other key moments from that time period, those first couple of years, what are some things that come to mind for you guys? Well, I think it's the, when we talk about like the we'll go to the 99 that that uh utsa north mexico uh, new mexico game um you know obviously it's lauded as the this moment where coker you know essentially i i've, I've seen a couple of different stories so i'm not sure what the real story is mm -hmm. obviously you looked at nate leonard's blog and he said that you know he was disappointed with the spot of the ball and he goes you know what never mind i don't care we'll go to 99. So it kind of goes down in lore though. I still feel like, I feel like we didn't celebrate it enough at the time. Right. But I think the other reason to it was because it was so much harder early on in UTSA history to actually see the games or you had to turn in, tune into like a radio to listen to the games. So I think there was something lost early on 
uh, with those UTSA teams because of the fact that now we can turn on Fox Sports Southwest, right. we can turn on, you know, stadium uh, or even look, you know, Facebook and, and get those streams now and be able to say, we're watching the game. This one though, I mean, it was just the thing of lures. It, it just came out as a story of, we wanted to go to the 99 and we did. The thing of legends, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, very true. What else, yeah, I Brad? Agree. I, I, yeah, I, I, oh, I gotta go with the we'll go 99. I mean, you know, even if the story is different than what actually happened, it's just a great story. Cause you know, the thing is if you don't go the 99 and score, then, you know, it's really just a, a lost quote in the history of UTSA. But the fact that, you know, this team had the guts and, you know, they just had that kind of a just grit about them, you know, that they actually just go the distance and score. So, so yeah, that that's definitely one of the moments that sticks out for me. You know, the other thing for me is really, you know, during this time period, it's the one and only Texas state game. We play them November 24th, 2012. And, you know, it's, it's the first victory. It sets up the football rivalry. I mean, you know, we've always had this rivalry with Texas State when it came to basketball that had gone on for years. Um, but this was our, you know, our first chance to play them in football. And, you know, it was just a great moment having that, that big win in, um, in the Dome. And we also had you know, Kenny Harrison's 79 yard punt return early in the game to kind of set the stage for UTSA. And I just think that was, you know, a great, a great victory for us. And, you know, it's hard to believe now that that was the one and only Texas state game of the, you know, the yeah, Coker era. Yeah. yeah. Cause we really didn't have like, you know, you're starting a program, you really, you start looking for the rivalry games and mm -hmm. you really didn't have anything. And your one rival that you've kind of looked to, like you said, was Texas state and they're not present in 2011 and here they are in the second year and after that they're gone yeah for a while um anything else about those first couple of years before we move on to, to 2014 and 2015 only thing i'll mention is um which i forgot to mention earlier was just tristan wade it's sort of the beginning of the playmaking safety um you know to me he kind of stands out because of the fact that he was all over the place kind of like you know big brown was talking about with nick johnson there was just his physicality and ball hawking uh, skills from him. And uh, we'll go on a little bit further and talk about some of those other players, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so we have 2013, you know, coming off this great season. Um, and then we go into 2014 knowing, okay, we've got to replace Sosa, but I think the expectations kind of going into that year were pretty high. Um, now looking back, we know that was the beginning of the end for the Coker era, but you know, what are kind of your thoughts on those next two years? Well, I felt like there were just unrealistic expectations, um, because we had the quarterback for the longest time and we knew that Tucker Carter was going to take over in 2014. And we believed that he was going to be the bridge. And technically, if you look at it, he really was supposed, really was the bridge between Sosa and Bogenschutz. Unfortunately, Bogenschutz isn't able to really have a full career with UTSA. So there kind of begins that whole, you know, issue with the quarterback. We can't mm -hmm. get that position solidified. Uh, and I think that kind of hurt the team. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I, I think, it, you know, really when I think about it, it just, you know, there was just this point where you kind of felt like we kind of came back down to earth a little bit, you know, where yeah. we had these yeah, really great wins and, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the injuries start to come in and, and, you know, I, I think some of the opponents that we were playing uh, just really had a kind of a different approach to us. And, and all of a sudden, you know, we didn't quite have that chip on our shoulder that we had, you know, the first couple of years and, and we just weren't, I don't want to say playing as well. We just, we just weren't winning games. Um, so that, that was just one of the things that it just felt like at a certain point, you know, reality kind of kicked in compared to those first couple of years, or, the, or at least the couple of years before that when we were actually having some success. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, again, you know, the, the beginning of the quarterback injuries during that time period, and, and in a little bit we'll talk about, you know, whether or not that could have been due to a quarterback curse. Um, but, yep. um you know, it definitely sort of set the stage for a very different experience from, you know, the 
first couple of years with UTSA. Um, just thinking back on some of the, the key players during that time period, who are some of those players that come to mind? Well, I think Bogan shoots is the first one. Um, mostly because we thought again, he was the guy, mm -hmm. you know, he, he was the guy that was, he was the next Sosa. He was going to be the guy that kind of, and he had a great game against Arizona. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and he had some pretty good games looking back. There were some really good moments with him, but injuries just derailed him. And, and unfortunately, you know, we end up having to figure out who's the next, who's the next person. And, and Tucker Carter's there, right? So he's another guy that I think, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I remember him fondly. I know people, other fans may not remember him as fondly, but, you know, I thought he was, he was good for, for what, what Coker wanted, but it, you know, things just didn't happen. Um, he suffered injuries as well. Um, so um, those were some of the problems there. I think, you know, again, two key quarterbacks and two key, you know, potentially at some point we could talk about what ifs. Yeah. Going back to Bogan, she's one of the things that was surprising to me and probably shouldn't have been, but he holds the record for the most passing yards by a freshman at UTSA. Um, he had 897 yards um, in 2015, which when you think about how short his career with UTSA is, you know, I think that's a pretty substantial record for him to hold. Absolutely. The other guy, I guess you could say, is also David Morgan. Um, you know, he's the first first UTSA player drafted. Well, the first play, yeah, the first player drafted. We did have a guy before who had played in the NFL, but he hadn't. You know, we didn't have a UTSA team at the time. Right. Um, but here we have David Morgan. Of course, you still remember that Kansas State game where he drags he drags his defender on him. <laughs> yeah. Where, but what was interesting was that yeah, Bogan shoots was the one who threw that pass to him. Right which I just completely had forgotten until we saw the highlights. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, the other yeah. thing with that group, you know, you had a lot of guys that, um, you know, were recruited during that time period. Um, you also had Jarvion who was, you know, he graduates in the Wilson era, but he was kind of hitting his stride, um, setting a lot of records that um, sincere McCormick will, likely overcome pretty quickly but um have held into this yeah. point um you know and it, i think it's kind of fun too to think that jarvion's back with the program now you know as a, a grad assistant so what about you brown yeah uh, i think you got to mention marcus davenport um you know it, it i think a lot of people always kind of mention his progression as far as the size that he was when he came into utsa and just kind of how he blossomed over the years and you know i, I remember watching the games and you know I, I i when i watch the game i kind of just look at everything from afar but um but i remember him always kind of standing out as just being so consistent you know he was just always kind of out there making plays and um you know and then you kind of see by the time we get to a senior year which moves into the the wilson era i mean he's just a, a monster at that point but you know, kind of, I remember just looking back and just seeing him as like one of the staples, even early on when he was there in the, the Coker era. Yeah. And, and of course, Josiah Tauhefa as well was recruited in 2015, you know, during this time period, again, didn't really get to make his name until, you know, we get to the Wilson era, but, um, you know, even though kind of look back at this time period, sort of feel like it's, you know, a little bit of a lean time period, not the best for UTSA history. You know, there were some guys during this time that really, um, you know, were either recruited during this period and, and flourished later on, or, you know, are still again in the record books. Yeah. And just, just to um, piggyback off that, you know, we had talked about early, like the earlier years were sort of the pouring of cement of the house. This feels like you're beginning to build like the skeleton. You've got the, you know, um, the boards or really just the, um, Framework. Uh, the framework uh, of the house starting to build because you see J Josiah, you see Marcus, you see uh, another guy that I thought it was Nate Gaines, mm -hmm. another uh, safety again, yeah. who's a playmaker. You start seeing these guys start coming in and they're the, they're that framework that it's going to help later on as we talk about, uh, you know, the Wilson era. Any other key moments we want to talk about during this time period before we move on to the categories? Well, I'd say, I mean, Arizona, um, you know, the, the, the game there in 2014, it was a hard fought game. It was, um, as they call it, I think this is where, where fans may not like Tucker Carter as much because he had the sort of Tony Roman moment where he's <laughs> rolling out late, um, 
you know, and, you know, he kind of tried to, I, I don't remember who was out there in the flat, but he was trying to flip it out to them. And he does sort of this option pitch, but forward and try to get it over the defender. He just, it didn't, it didn't go, it didn't work. So um, I think that's where the, the Tony Romer hate plus the, that moment, I think people, you know, made it, you know, made comparisons there. And I think that's where the, the Tucker Carter maybe, um, just hate started or maybe i guess you could say but uh, it was just unfortunate because it was the first time i get to p5 school we might be really close to winning well it's also unfortunate yeah. that he had injuries because you know i remember you referring to like when that season started <laughs> it was like it's tucker time you know and that really would have been a cool phrase to catch on if you know he had been healthy that year <laughs> yeah that's very true all yeah, right so for me I, it, it they were just lean years so, so i won't even try to harp on it too much I, I think it was just those years that really tested your fandom and like you know you you, you know of course you go to the games and and you know you just kind of stuck around and you know we kept waiting okay there will be better days coming but those were some lean years so, yeah, so that and, was my and you're right it started kind of that decline in attendance which you know really never stopped after that i mean wilson never was able to you know, kind of turn the attendance around. And so, yeah, just kind of started a bad trend there. All right, well, let's move into the categories. So the first category I have is rewatchable game. So I want you guys to, you know, think about a game, an FBS game, I should say. So kind of throw out that first season. Um, one of the FBS games that UTSA played um, during the Coker era is that you would love to go back and rewatch or re-experience. You know, you can't change the outcome of the game, but you want to be there, feel it, experience it again. Oh, um, I think for me, it's going to be um, the 2014 Houston game, uh, simply because they opened up their stadium. Uh, you know, they built a new stadium. Uh, here it is the first, very first game in their history. Normally, if you're opening up a stadium, and maybe if you're having homecoming, you want a winnable game. So there you, you're bringing in UTSA, who you beat up the year before, and UTSA just clobbers them. And I, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, obviously it was like 24 to 7, but it just felt like UTSA was in control of the game the entire time. Um, when they needed to make plays, they made plays. Uh, and again, the beginning of the Tucker era. <laughs> so um, <laughs> uh, that for me is the one that I, I, at least during this time period, which I would you know, aside from the first games, you know, first game was the first game, but I would say this one is the one that I would want to go back and watch FBS wise. All right. What about you, Brown? Uh, for me, I, I do agree. I think that's definitely a rewatchable game. Uh, for me, I'd say the 2013 game against North Texas, uh, I, partially because that was probably one of the coldest games I've ever been to. Um, <laughs> also because uh, it was the three of us road tripping to uh, Denton for the game. Um, and it was just a great experience, uh, you know, with North Texas, you know, kind of in command of, of Conference USA and for us to go there and beat them on their home field, uh, you know, that, that was just a great, great experience. And, I, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe uh, just with how cold it was that day, uh, the UTSA fans, they were, you know, kind of sticking it out. And we were actually at a certain point outnumbering the, the UNT fans there, mm -hmm. or maybe it just felt like that just with how loud we were. But uh, that's definitely one of my more rewatchable games during that era. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one other one I, I would throw out again is that the New Mexico game back in 2013 with the, you know, we'll go the 99 just because I don't, I don't know that we um, all had the opportunity you know, to experience it. None of us were there. You know, I think it would be great to go back and, and see the stuff of legends in person. But sure. um, but ultimately, um, I have to agree with you, Brown. I think out of the, these three games that we mentioned, the North Texas game, um, it was sort of the, the pinnacle to me of the Sosa years. You know, it was that game that everything else being different with the NCAA rules should have put us into bowl eligibility um, and didn't. And um, I think it was just, you know, an exciting game and sort of set up that rivalry really between us and um, North Texas. How about you? Agreed. Yeah, I'll agree with you, yes. All right. Um, biggest missed opportunity that could have swung the Coker era. What are some of those things, or what's that thing that we think might have made things different for Coker if it had happened differently? 
Well, you know, for me, I, I mentioned, um, you know, going to UTSA uh, for my undergrad, and uh, I went to high school at Judson. Uh, so I remember when I first went to UTSA, um, you know, there were a lot of kids that I played football with when I was at Judson uh, that were now at UTSA. And, you know, we'd play like pickup games out around campus and stuff like that. And, you know, so when I kind of think of uh, big missed opportunities, I just remember there was so much talent around the city. And, you know, I know that we did get some players, you know, early on from around the area, but, you know, I just really felt like there was a chance to maybe get some more really, really good players from uh, just, you know, local talent and, and really kind of push that as we kind of tried to get the program off the ground. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think that, you know, establishing that recruiting pipeline in San Antonio and just kind of starting to build as trailer now calls it the wall around San Antonio would have been interesting to see if we could have gotten more of that talent in mm -hmm. into the program. For me, I, I think just a what if this is in 2014, what if, um, or the biggest most opportunity would have been Tucker Carter staying healthy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, does that give us, does that give us more of a chance at least to have a 500 record does it get us close to six wins, maybe going six and six and actually being bowl eligible? Yeah. And how does that propel the, the program from there? Because then you can go to recruits, not just throw down the, uh, the national championship ring, but also be able to say, we were bowl eligible. We're, we're a bowl team. So, and you get those 15 practices. We saw what, you know, we'll, we'll talk about later um, how that helped to the 2017 team, but those 15 extra practices help teams as they begin to develop. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, if we could have gotten to a bowl in 2014, things would have been different for the Coker years, you know, and, and how that would have played out long-term, I don't know, but I think that would have been, you know, a really different project, you know, yeah. trajectory for the, for the era. Um, unanswerable questions. Do we have any unanswerable questions from the Coker era? Sort of what ifs? Yeah, I mean, I would say what if, Bogan shoots doesn't get injured in 2015. I mean, we, we had the problems with, with um, Tucker in 2014. What if Bogan shoots is healthy? And, you know, again, we have steady quarterback play. I don't know that we necessarily start talking about the curse. You know, <laughs> right. we, we start talking about, um, you know, Blake Bogan shoots having three good years at, um, at UTSA. And that probably might extend, you know, it say unanswerable, it might extend Coker's uh, uh, tenure at UTSA. Yeah, I think one of the unanswerable questions for me is uh, just towards the end of the, the Coker era, um, you know, I, I know you you guys have a little bit more of the details on it, but um, uh, when Coker was let go, it just kind of seemed, uh, it, I don't want to say out of nowhere, um, you know, because his record wasn't that great, but just the timing of it um, just seemed a bit off. So, you know, I, definitely a lot of questions of, why that particular time um you know i think with coker uh you know i, I don't know exactly what his long-term plans were but uh but it just seemed that when uh, lynn hickey decided to kind of move on from coker uh just the timing felt very off because it was i want to say a week or two before national signing day yeah. um and it just really felt odd so that's definitely a question that you know i've always kind of wanted to have an answer to is why then i think the, the biggest what if, you know unanswerable question is what if it's not coker what if it's randolph or churchmo you know what does utsa look like you know and apparently churchmo was allegedly you know kind of the front runner and then coker kind of came from behind and you know one over lynn hickey and some of the other donors so you know I think it would be a very different story if Mel Churchma had been the head coach. That's a good point. So looking back on all of the Coker years and, and his era, when you think about Coker, what do you think about is his legacy? Well, I think it's, he's remembered. He's, he's the first, you know, um, you, you've kind of, kind of talked about it before. It's, you know, you, you always remember the first and you remember Coker as the guy that came out and introduced UTSA, mm -hmm. he put UTSA football technically on the map. Um, right. You know, his, you know, his uh, connections within the, you know, college football enabled us to get some big time, uh, you know, teams coming in like Oklahoma state, uh, you know, to, to come in and play at the dome, uh, which helped, uh, you know, attendance, you know, 
which helped with notoriety, which helped, you know, just get us on the map and, and show that there's something brewing in South Texas. Um, the other thing was just the unrealistic expectations. What I talked about was just those, you had those Sosa years and you had the lean years mm -hmm. and it just felt like those lean years just felt so much leaner because we had a really good quarterback and whatever Coker was able to squeeze out of those first three years with Sosa there, you know, you can only work magic as, as Big Brown will talk about sometimes. You can only work with, ma with magic so much. At some point that just runs out and he did everything yeah. he could, but um, unfortunately, yeah, it just didn't lead to a, a longer tenure. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I mean, it's yeah. really the, the attendance records, getting in the program, you know, he'll always be, you know, that guy. And now we see the the endowed ward, you know, that's coming out from the UTSA alumni. Um, so I think we'll, we'll always remember Coker um, as our first head coach. Yeah, and, and kind of to wrap it up, um, you know, the same thing. I mean, he's the guy that, that brought football here. And, you know, kind of when you look at those first couple of years, I mean, obviously we – we had some degree of success, but when you kind of think how hard it is to kind of bring a program off the ground and, and, and really, you know, for us to get that first game, you know, to win that first game and, and really have, you know, some decent wins in there, you know, especially looking uh, back at the, the um, 2013 season, you know, just the number of wins that we had. Um, you know, I think he really, you know, uh, like Ben said, you know, as far as using the house analogy, he really laid the foundation and really kind of, you know, was able to, you know, when he left, hand off a program that, you know, yeah, I mean, there were, you know, uh, definitely some holes as far as recruiting, but as far as like just really establishing the program, you know, he, uh, he did a great job. So he really kind of, you know, handed the baton off in a way to where we could keep it going and keep the momentum going. All right, before we go, um, you know, we've talked a lot about quarterbacks and the quarterback carousel throughout the podcast so far. Um, and, and as you all know, uh, the quarterback position has been plagued by injuries, um, not just this year, but also in the past. Um, and so on a recent episode of the Alamodome Audible, Jared had kind of thrown out this possibility of there being a quarterback curse which got me thinking, you know, if there really was a quarterback curse, it had to have happened after Eric Sosa because Sosa, you know, really didn't have injuries during his time period or anyways, significant injuries. And he was kind of that franchise quarterback during the time. But since he left, we haven't really been able to a find consistency. And we've had these issues with, um, with injuries. Uh, this isn't the first season we've used four quarterbacks. It's actually the third. Um, so I kind of went back to the right after Sosa left and, and thought if there was a curse, you know, it would probably come from that quarterback room. And it would have started around the time that, you know, Eric Sosa was graduating. So I did some half-assed internet research and I came up with some persons of interest, I'll call them. Um, and then you guys can decide what you think. Um, so I went back and I looked at the rosters um, for 2013 and 2014 and started with the QBs. Um, so the first person I looked at was Travis Min. Um, he would have been a redshirt senior in 2014, although he was not on the roster. He was 2013. He'd been a walk-on from Roosevelt High School in San Antonio, joined the program early, um, I found references to him competing for the starting role back in 2010. Um, again, he wasn't listed on the roster in 2014. Really couldn't find any evidence that he played while he was here. The only thing on his, uh, the bio on his roster was his major and some really basic stats about him. So he's really kind of this unknown. So, you know, was he someone who came at the beginning of the program and thought, you know, hey, I'll be the heir apparent to Sosa. And then this guy, Tucker Carter, comes in and gets, you know, the starting job. Was he resentful of his lack of playing time? I really don't know, but he's a, he's a question mark for me. Uh, then I looked at um, Brady Lambert. Uh, he was a walk-on transfer and a junior in 2014. He'd come from a successful high school career. He left Wimberley, uh, or he led Wimberley to a state championship in 2011, um, and then started his collegiate career at 
McMurray under Hal Mummy. Um, he lost his starting job at McMurray and so he decided to walk on at UTSA. And just prior to 2014, when Sosa was leaving, there was this discussion um, you know, about who was gonna be the backup for Tucker Carter. And it was pretty clear that Tucker Carter would be the starter in 2014, but what happens if he's injured? Um, at the time we had redshirt freshman in Austin Robinson, um, and then Coker re recruited the true freshman Blake Bogenschutz, but there was kind of this discussion, like, do we need to have a strong transfer candidate to come in who can really be that, you know, that number two guy if something happens to Tucker Carter while these freshmen develop. Um, so maybe Brady Lambert thought, you know, he would be the one to come in and fill that role. But then ultimately he finds himself fifth man on the roster below Bogan shoots Austin Robinson and the walk-on freshman Dalton Sturm. Um, ultimately he only stayed with the program that one year um, he left after, didn't play football again. Um, I found an article um, written by the Austin American Statesman. Um, it was a five-year retrospective on the Wimberley Championship from 2011, and they interviewed Brady Lambert. He barely mentions UTSA. Um, he did say that, you know, when he was in college that, um, you know, kind of felt more like a job to him, you know, so maybe he's the one that started the curse. He comes here thinking he's gonna be the backup to Tucker Carter. He doesn't even get a chance to play. You know, this walk-on freshman comes in before him. Maybe he carries a grudge. My third person of interest was Austin Robinson. Now, you might question this one. He was a redshirt freshman in 2014. And after the injuries to both uh, Tucker Carter and Bogan shoots because um, you know kind of giving you a little bit of the, the timeline uh, Tucker Carter is the starter he gets injured um, has a shoulder injury um, in the Oklahoma State game um, in September manages to come back and play the next game against FAU but then the following game after that New Mexico he ends up leaving with an injury and they go to Bogan shoots the true freshman comes in plays well gets the start against FIU, and then goes down in the FIU game um, and fractures his hand. And so then, you know, Austin Robinson, the third stringer, gets to go in and play. Um, but, you know, again, going back to the beginning of the season, Austin Robinson was talked about as being Tucker Carter's backup. And yet here he's outshined by this true freshman um, who ends up, you know, kind of being the next man up until he gets injured. And while Austin Robinson did play in 2014, again, he started four games. They were not the best performance. There were some good moments, but there was this really bad 34 to zero loss to UTEP um, that um, just was not, a, it was probably one of the worst games ever in UTSA history, to be honest. Um, we only averaged 1.6 yards per passing attempt. And we, failed to cross midfield until like the fourth quarter of the game. Um, so, you know, his, his performance obviously wasn't stellar. Um, he ended up getting injured, which led to uh, Dalton Stern coming in. But, you know, maybe his injury was a coincidence. Maybe it was a byproduct of his curse. Maybe he curses Tucker Carter and Bogan shoots to get the starting role. And then, you know, things go bad. Um, you know, he obviously carried a chip on his shoulder because right after that, um, at the end of the season, um, going in spring ball 2015, um, he's moved to a safety and then immediately leaves the program, ends up transferring to Houston, um, becomes a linebacker. And while he was successful as a linebacker, you know, does he carry this grudge against UTSA because, you know, he ended up having to move to um, a defensive position that he obviously didn't want um, and he couldn't make it as a quarterback. I don't know. It's just a thought. I know Ben has another thought on uh, who <laughs> might be responsible for this curse. All right, buckle in everybody because it's about to get great. <laughs> um, we're sticking with Austin Robinson here, but I'm going to take you back to 2015 uh, spring game in the dome. The three of us went to that game. We sit down. 
we're enjoying the practice, the, you know, the spring game, which is really the big practice. We're having a fun time. Austin Robinson takes the quarterback controls um, and is taking those snaps. And he, they run a few basic plays, and he just has problems running them. Uh, so after one of the plays, uh, this lady to our right just yells out all of a sudden, oh, are we running those plays again, coach? To our surprise later on, we realized that's Austin Robinson's mom. So I thought about it, and I, and I was like, she said, are we running those plays again, coach? And, and the way you're saying it's much nicer than the way she said it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that nice. <laughs> no, she wasn't. I may have cleaned it up a little. I'm kidding. I don't think I did. But anyway, um, I think she didn't necessarily just put a curse on on the position so much as she put a curse on the coach. Not Larry Coker, but Kevin Brown. Mm. Now, wait for it here. Because Kevin Brown, that was the last year that he was the offensive coordinator. Essentially, he gets fired at the end of 2015. Right. Coker's gone. We do have some quarterback shuffling along the way, but it's not really because of injuries. It's because of just ineffective play. We come to 2020. Kevin Brown is hired yet again into the UTSA program. <laughs> huh. Have we seen how many injuries we've had to our quarterbacks? Like every single one of our quarterbacks has gone down at this point, whether it be, well, with JoJo, we believe it was COVID, but still technically he went on the injured list because of it. Um, we, so the, we still, we had to play four quarterbacks. Yeah, we've had to play four quarterbacks. So there was a shuffle, but it's because of injuries, much like previous seasons. So Austin Robinson, mom, if you're listening, I apologize. But to me, I think that that's where, where you cursed us. Um, intentionally or not yeah whether it's intentional <laughs> or not and uh kevin brown i need you to go find uh, a mexican abuelita and i need you to get a, like a little <laughs> bit of egg rubbed on you to just get this curse broken because we need to get this out all right brown hit us this all right, so I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go in a little bit of a different direction um i know when you kind of think of curses you think of possibly you know one person kind of laying a curse on someone else um, but I'm going to say, what if it wasn't necessarily a particular person, but what if it was a whole fan base? Um, so initially, <laughs> I went with uh, the Mean Green North Texas Eagles. Uh, you know, when you kind of go back to 2013, again, you know, I've kind of said over, over the years, not just necessarily on this podcast, that uh, that was just a special game, you know, and, you know, it was just a great memory for us. But now just imagine if you're sitting on the other side of that stadium and you're a North Texas fan and here comes this, you know, ragtag team in UTSA and, you know, they're kind of one of the only things standing between you and a conference championship and they take that away from you. I mean, you know, you kind of, you're, you're pissed. So, so I will say that that was initially who I went with, you know, as far as the quarterback curse and it doesn't quite align up, you know, perfectly because, you know, we do win um, a couple of games after that without any type of major changes or any type of issues. But then Atoves and the Toves kind of bring up a great point. And they said, well, you know, yeah, we did have, kind of have success after that. You know, in 2014, we beat Houston. And then I go, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. What happens after Houston? It seems like the wheels just fall off. Mm-hmm. So, yep. you know, I kind of looked at that and, you know, again, here it is, this young UTSA team, you know, we're playing against Houston, they're opening up the brand new stadium, um, you know, they're really not looking at us as being, you know, honestly, they're looking at us as being kind of the sacrifice at this point, you know, we're <laughs> going to, they're going to christen their new stadium with us and, and then we end up beating them. So, you know, I, I kind of actually, as we were doing this, you know, I kind of just looked real quick and uh, if, you know, Wikipedia is accurate, you know, you can do with that as you may, but um, we only win three more games that season. And then on top of that, when I looked at our win margin, we won by a combined 12 points with <laughs> three games. So... I'm going to say maybe the Houston Cougars put a curse on us. Maybe they kind of have cursed us. And, you know, if you're going to curse a team, 
what better place to curse them with than with their quarterback? You know, I mean, that's kind of the head of the football team. So, you know, sure. they've maybe yeah. just given us really, really bad luck that we have not been able to shake it. And, and honestly, I don't know how we kind of break this curse. <laughs> yeah. Well, whenever we play him again, we'll have to win at home or something. I don't know. But I, I do agree. It's probably more likely if it's on a fan base, it's Houston versus North Texas, because going back to that game, um, Dan McCarney was the coach of North Texas at the time. And um, as you guys know, I'm an Iowa State fan. And having watched Dan McCarney at Iowa State, like he is really great at getting his teams into a position where they own their destiny and then they fall apart. So I think the failure of that game probably has a little bit more to do with Dan McCarney. It's some Carney curse. Than, <laughs> than, than anything Hashtag else. It. But. <laughs> So, so there you guys have, you have our theories, you know, is it one of the quarterbacks from the 2013, 2014 room? Um, is it Austin Robinson's mom? Is it, <laughs> is it the Houston fan base? I don't know. You know, there is certainly a, an unanswerable question, but whatever it is, I think the thought that there is a quarterback curse um, may just be legitimate. Oh, it's real. Um, oh, it's it is real. real. Yes, we got fi- to figure this out. Open trailer can figure this out. <laughs> Thanks to our special guest, Big Brown, for joining us today on our look back at the Coker years. Thanks for having me. It's been a great time. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining us for the first part of our special episode of the Hail Mary podcast. The three of us will be back in the next few weeks with our second part of our special episode where we'll reflect on the Wilson years. We'll talk about what we've seen so far under Coach Trailer and dive into our expectations for the next 10 years of the program. See you then.